This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Becky Lynch is still a, a heel for now. Braun Strowman is newly heel. Neville is a free agent and can go anywhere. And Velveteen Dream is on his way to evolve. It's Shake Them Ropes 283. I'm Jeff Hawkins, here as usual. Joining me, perhaps, here as usual, Chris Novembrino. Hello, Chris. Hi, Jeff. How are you? We're on take four. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? This time is going to go better because modern technology failed us, so we're going back in time to telephones because kids if skype and google hangouts and every other voip program fails you you can always use a telephone to make a podcast and that is the true magic of radio jeff well you see if you're calling each other through the internet and recording and doing this at the same time you use a lot of resources and sometimes (laughs) unless you have business class internet things screw up But this weekend, one of the bigger events of uh, independent wrestling history, All In, happening right outside of Chicago in lovely Schaumburg, Illinois. A couple of Voices of Wrestling shows representing as the flagship and WrestleNomics are going to be doing a show from there. That's kind of cool, I think. Absolutely. uh, Yeah, my question for you, a little bit of a WWE tie-in. Does Neville show up and appear on this show? I want to answer your question with a question and that is why wouldn't Neville appear on this show because it seems to me that he needs to get his post WWE career launched right and what better vehicle than all in you know maybe he wants to forge his own path maybe he doesn't want to wrestle anymore I I don't know I'm, I'm thinking maybe you know I don't think money's going to be the issue because I think if you want to be on the show you'll make a deal somehow to be on the show if they want you to be there, (laughs) as opposed to, like, Enzo, who isn't going to be there but wanted to be on All In. Um, Oh, oh, why isn't Enzo going to be there? Oh, because they don't want I'm joking, Jeff. I I know why he's not going to be there. The other thing is you can't tell whether questions are facetious online. Um, (laughs) You know what? I just don't know. He could always, I mean, if, if he really had Stockholm Syndrome of some kind, Seeing what his, you know, options are outside of WWE, he could always just want a better deal to stay close to home and just do WWE UK. That's interesting. Has there been any indication that he's interested in hanging the boots up? Has he said anything to that effect? He hasn't said anything, which is very, very smart in a lot of ways. Um, one of the more clever ideas I read was uh, Neville being in the Bernard the Business Bear suit for this show, which I think would be kind of a cool way to introduce him. Uh, kind of a silly way to introduce him, but, uh, you know, it's it's a creative way, at least. Well, if it launches an angle, like, for example, Bernard the Business Bear comes out after the main event with Cody and Nick Aldis, and then Bernard the Business Bear attacks Cody. I, You know what? It, it's interesting because this show all in has a lot of, mystery to it in some ways that intrigues wrestling fans just outside of even the participants on the show because cm punk is doing a 
meet and greet, I think, at Pro Wrestling Tees tomorrow. And there were questions as to whether or not he'd be on this show in some way. But I guess with Colt Cabana involved in the Battle Royal, I think that kind of uh, I mean, that kind of answers that question right there. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be in the Battle Royal at bare minimum. Uh, you know, I, I think All In is, is important. I'm going to watch it live. I know it's going to be on New Japan World the day after. I don't know if that's, you know, only for international customers or if stateside people can do that too. But I think it's important i think having you know at least something with the modicum of possibly being a number two promotion even if it's just a loose confederation of of smaller entities like you know having working agreements like new japan and ring of honor i think it's important um i'm still waiting for a promotion with promos guys get on that all you wrestlers listening to this but um I don't know. I, I my one prediction for the show is uh, is that Cody Rhodes does not win the NWA title officially. I think he wins it for a moment and then a dusty finish in order to give a nice tribute to his father. I think that's going to be the the deal there. Today's episode of Shake Them Rubs is sponsored by Four Hymns. Hey guys, sixty six percent of men lose their hair by age thirty five, and by the time you notice it, it's probably too late solution is 4 a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. Now look, I'm bald. I tried using Propecia and Rogaine, but by the time I started using it, my hair was already starting to go away. So it's not going to work for someone like me, but you're just noticing it. You, know, you can go talk to real doctors and get medical-grade solutions to treat your hair loss. You don't have to go to a waiting room. You don't have to, you know, admit to the doctor, hey, I'm here because... You know, for vanity reasons, you know, you just go to 4 get a nice cheap prescription, name brand, or generic equivalents, name brand, sent in very discreet packaging in the mail, so, you know, if you got nosy neighbors or you have a roommate, they're not going to know either. All you got to do is answer a few quick questions, and the doctor will review and prescribe what you need, and they'll be shipped directly to your door. Order now, and listeners will get a trial month of hymns for five bucks today, while supplies last. Just see the full website for details. It would cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4 str. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash S-T-R. 4 slash S-T-R. So Braun Strowman's now a heel, which is interesting. Um, because I thought the smarter move would probably be to make the shield the heels here because it's more logical. Uh, Braun Strowman has, like a valiant babyface, cashed in his money in the bank before Hill in the Cell. Allegedly. He called this shot. I have a theory on that, by the way, um, which which I'll get to. And then later in the show, in a tag team match with Roman Reigns versus Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre, turns on Roman and then later raises the arms of Dolph and Drew. I don't know if this is only for the Australian show because I could see something where they team and then after the match, Braun destroys them both and goes back to kind of being the lone wolf type of heel thing. Um, I don't... Uh, let me put to you this way. Is it possible that, or even a good idea, that Braun Strowman has not officially cashed in his briefcase here? that maybe he gave it to to 
to uh, Baron Corbin. And remember, there there's precedence for this in the show, where apparently becoming com- uh, commissioner of Raw gives you inundates you with middle management paperwork up the Yazoo. So he forgot to file this paperwork about a DQ match against against Finn Balor, even though it's cheap heat. We all know that. But there's a story here where Baron Corbin has the briefcase, and maybe it's just hell in the cell is hell in the cell, and he was going to put him in that match anyways, and oh, here you go, Braun, here's your briefcase back. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking that might be the direction they go here. Yes, or I could even see Strowman cheating to win or attempt to win and still losing in Hell in a Cell, like by bringing in Drew and Dolph into Hell in a Cell, losing, and then Corbin still gives Strowman back the briefcase afterwards, saying there was outside interference, but the outside interference was on his behalf. Now, I could also see, you know, Baron Corbin keeping the briefcase for himself and just saying Hell in a Cell was the match for the title. I, I could see that, too. But as the authority, sure. because they always, they love giving the heat to these heel authority figures, even though, <laughs> even, even though it doesn't make for, you know, a progressive story in any ways, because we always get stuck in the office politics of the authority figure and making matches and this, that, and the other. I just, I just don't know. It, it seems a little bit crazy to give Braun all this goodwill all this time. And then blatantly turn him heel when people will love the shield, even if they are the bad guys from previously. And it and it's also doesn't make sense that Braun is now looking for friends after a three on one beatdown, and he's the bad guy here. It's just it's very kind of odd that way. There is a lot of that all over the wrestling this week of the bad guy is oddly outnumbered and it doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. It's clear that WWE is 100% committed to the John Cenafication of Roman Reigns as, quote, the most polarizing figure in all of WWE, and that's how it's going to be. I just don't really understand how that is allowed to move forward at the same time as you reunite the Shield. How are they going to be the most polarizing faction in all of WWE? That makes no sense. Well, I mean, they they had another misstep, I think, with the Shield in, in some ways, in that the, the first time you heard Dean Ambrose speak again, and he was doing, I thought, just the silent but violent gimmick, I loved it. I loved his entire demeanor. I loved him having that kind of prison yard swag. I, I absolutely loved it. And then it's with Jinder Mahal. And you're just like, oh, no. This isn't what people want to see. People want to see badasses be badasses. And and sure, they made him go, you know, I'm going to break your face in. But at the same time, you're still, you know, it, it's those hints of the old comedy Dean again, you know, where, oh, look, two wacky guys who shouldn't be in a scene together are in a scene. And you're just like, no. It, it, it seems like a bit of a misstep to me. Yeah, I didn't like the Jinder Mahal and Dean thing. Even if you just take it sort of for what it is, Jinder comes in and is initially, I guess, trying to get into Dean's head would be the way you would spin this, but just sort of taken at face value, offering Dean meditation and Dean's being a huge dick and doesn't want any of the spiritual guidance. And speaking of this Braun Strowman heel turn, his victim for many, many weeks, Kevin Owens... We're doing a walkout angle after what I thought was a pretty damn good match against uh, Seth Rollins where Seth Rollins kind of gives him the 
the nod of respect afterwards. I'm I'm thinking we're getting we're baby face Kevin Owens. Yeah. We're getting yeah, because he needs to be heated up. Here's where I think it's going. I think he is going to chase after his comeuppance against Braun Strowman. Because in order for babyface Kevin Owens to be fight Owens fight, he needs someone big and burly to fight Owens fight against, who's not Roman Reigns because they want to protect Roman Reigns right now. And I think that's going to be Braun Strowman. It's interesting you say that, because I... I, Just my cynicism about WWE's marketing is that they wanted Braun Strowman to be this major Andre the Giant-like attraction who is there, who is the big guy, the big obstacle to get over other baby faces. But I don't think they see Kevin Owens as a guy that they need to elevate necessarily above Braun Strowman. So I, I think that's the story they tell. I just don't know. I, I don't know how it goes with Kevin Owens as a babyface if he never actually gets over Braun Strowman in a powerful way. And I think maybe they tease Sammy coming back, but I think eventually it goes back to Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn in some way, but it's just, it's a little odd because they never quite do these things correctly or in a logical, they they just kind of do them. And then when they don't necessarily work the way they should, they blame somebody else on it. I'm, I'm just, I'm a little, I, I get the thinking behind, okay, we're going to turn Kevin Owens here and we're going to feud him with Braun just with the roles reverse but if kevin owens never actually you know if he gets the banana peel wins or whatever that really doesn't help him as a baby face absolutely not no kevin owens needs to have a big baby face fire moment where he goes deep and then finally is able to overcome braun Strowman. I mean, in my head when I was trying to war game this out, I think maybe Braun Strowman attacks Sami Zayn on the first or second week Sami Zayn comes back, and that gives Kevin Owens the motivation he needs. Okay, I could I could see that. I'm uh you know, the the rest of this raw was was kind of a little by the numbers uh in my opinion, not anything terribly you know, cuz they wanted to get the shock of the of the Roman Reigns um you know, beat down out there. I, I Right, it's, right. It, it's interesting because you can't really say it was a plan all the way along the way that Dolphin Drew reacted. And it's weird because as as good as Dolphin Drew have been in the ring this time, their character motivation has remained the, we're motivating the rest of the locker room, which isn't, you know, which isn't that great of a story to tell unless you continue to heighten it. And I think... Basically, they're here to be cannon fodder for, for uh, the brawn and, and you know the six mans and whatnot. I think you know one guy on the shield will take a fall, and then eventually Dolph will take the fall in Australia. So it's it's, it's going to be that they got a lot to work with, but they also have the final goal of making Roman very very popular. So it's 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 going to see which of these conflicting things uh, win out in the end. And it's not even clear that that's where WWE wants to go because they seem to be really comfortable with this idea that he's polarizing. So if you're not even committed with the goal of making Roman really popular, I still think we have some problems here. So let me hit mm-hmm. a couple of the other plot points in this episode here and get your feedback on them. Sasha versus Dana, what is going on with Titus Worldwide? Where are we going with this storyline, in your opinion? 
Titus heel turn. Okay. Titus turns into LeVar Ball. Because, you know, we have to make all our naturally likable people that we go out there and do good works for the community that, that we have to eventually turn them heel. I don't – it seems so odd, but I think, you know, oh, Apollo's not focusing on his career. He's focusing on, you know, making googly eyes at at Dana. Although, I, you know what? I think for Dana not having a, as as great, you know – in ring as she hasn't had in about nine months. I thought this match was quite a good showing for her. And I thought the Alicia Fox match for her wasn't too bad either. I, you know, Dana's always one of those stories to me where it's like, she was just brought up too soon because they fell in love with the fitness model part of it. And then look, I'll, I'll say it. I think some of the work she got done didn't help her case too much on the main roster. I think, I think she's very attractive still. I just, I just think, it may have harmed her in, in some ways that she wasn't expecting, but at the same time, her training also could have used a few more months to polish down there because she was working a good program with Emma down there and, and starting to get, you know, she had worked with Asuka a bit and she gets brought to the main roster basically to take losses for Emma and then Emma gets fired and then they have nothing to do with her. And so they put her on the shelf for a few months, but she's always had great athleticism and has been able to move fairly well in the ring. It's just she needs some of the more technical aspects of it and a little bit more work on that in order to be somebody. Now, I don't think this story goes anywhere past being a plot point for Titus and Apollo, but I, I thought, you know, for nine months off, she looked pretty good in this match and she had great help in working with a fairly high-level talent in Sasha. So what do you think about the Bellas being back in action? What is Nikki Bella going to do? I don't know because I thought for certain the Bellas would eventually turn on Ronda Rousey. I think that's still coming. I don't think so. I think maybe Nikki does. I don't think both of them turn because they're setting up Brie as his big baby face on SmackDown right now. That is true. So I don't think I don't think you do that. I think I think the the move here is once there's been a little bit of time passed from from Jim Neidhart's death, I think you still turn Natty. Or you turn Ronda. I would love to have Ronda turn on all these these quote-unquote diva legends and say, "Look, I'm part of this new breed of Evo- women's evolution revolution whatever lution we're going with." I here. am the evolution. Yes. And have her, you know, have it go to her head. A little bit like UFC, if you really want to go that far. You know, where she becomes this, just just all those bad instincts that she had when she was an actual fighter, where she was kind of curt to the media and, you know, really didn't respect her opponents in public. Play up that. That, that I think, is the, is the more interesting move. Because I think everybody sees a Bella's heel turn a mile away here. Yes, I'm with you, and I think that the Ronda heel turns much more interesting, and it gives all of the mainstays on the WWE roster someone credible to try their hand against. It gives Ronda a bunch of fresh matches, and it might get us rooting for some of these other people on the roster, and I'm sure ultimately the goal would be to get us to root for Charlotte, but different idea here. Becky becomes. Well, let me cut. Let me cut you. Let me. Let, let me. Let me cut you off there real quick because I think I think Ronda becomes a heel, but she becomes the heel that even other heels don't like because I don't right. think you, you can team her with like an Alexa type 
thing. I think you you still keep them having their own animus. Because no, you she's built like Shayna Baszler, which well, eventually reunites yes. her with Shayna Baszler and all the four horsewomen. But in the interim, there we build go. to Becky Lynch going up against Ronda Rousey, arm submission versus arm submission. We build to <laughs> Asuka versus Ronda Rousey, where now Ronda is in there saying all the professional wrestlers, all these sports entertainers are a joke. Asuka shows up and is going to try to show that she is no joke. We get that whole angle. Maybe you scare Ronda Rousey. I don't think you beat her with Asuka. But that sets up the Ronda versus Asuka angle. Oh, that'd be that'd be great, but I don't think you're getting it. I really don't. I, I don't think you're getting either. I think Asuka right now is they're looking for something to do with her because they don't really know. And they, I think it's probably going to end up she's going to be used somehow to tell us which way they want to go with Charlotte and Becky because we'll, we'll just transition into that right now. I heard all week all this punditry being ridiculous. And telling me, oh, nope, they booked it for a babyface reaction. They booked Becky for her big babyface reaction. Oh, look, they're going to do, they may do the double turn here. Oh, they're going to, they're going to, look. Generously, they booked want- it agnostically. I think they wanted to see where it was going to go, but I don't think they booked it for a babyface reaction at all. No, yeah, exactly. I think they booked it and Toronto responded how Toronto or. They were in Toronto, right? I'm trying to Yes, remember. they were in t- No, you you know that because the Iconics desperately needed to get heat That's and right. so they drew heat on the Toronto Raptors. Yes, they they got they got the cheap sports team. The cheapest thing. of cheap sports team. This is a desperate franchise that just made a very bad trade for Kawhi Leonard that is not necessarily <laughs> it's a low floor high ceiling sort of trade that has a lot of fans in Toronto very nervous. <laughs> if we're going to break that down for a second here. Oh, dear Lord, I got to deal with baseball with Rob and basketball with you. This is so great for sports that I <laughs> Welcome to the Terror Dome, Hawkins. I know, I know. I'll, I'll get NFL with someone someday. <laughs> but, um, no, if you look in the in the tropes of WWE, some mid-card heel always has to give the sports team thing. It's Elias on Raw, it's the Iconics on SmackDown, and, of course, the main event swear word. We, we get those two, but... I just think Toronto responded how they're going to respond. If you ever want to get a peek into my mind, I think they book for what would an eight-year-old think. So I think I still think they think that Becky should be getting booed here. Yes. I, there's going to be a tag team match, I think, next week, and that will tell us everything we need to know about whose side they think she should be on. It'll probably be Asuka and Charlotte versus... A very reluctant Becky and Carmella where Becky may walk out on her or something like that. They're going to use the heels that they have somehow to end up... Signaling to us how we're supposed to feel about this. And then we'll see what happens at Hell in a Cell. Because I don't don't know that the audience is going to go with it. It's too clever to try and and turn them both. Now, I think the crowds will naturally turn them both. Because I think... The one part of the punditry I hear that that I think is is notable and I think is probably correct is that, and we, I think we said this also last week is that Ro- the Romans Reigns reactions for Charlotte will start coming when they see that she's going to be pushed over someone that they want to be pushed. And I think WWE's playbook, you know, if you look at the Daniel Bryan playbook, they think all these things they did to him were eventually 
made him so uber popular. So, you know, have have him go 0 and 10 on NXT and have him have a losing streak gimmick and have him lose 8 seconds at WrestleMania and and have him join the Wyatt family for no reason and have him get beat down by Randy Orton and and Triple H. That's all you know what? That's all really what what made him popular. It wasn't the fact that people wanted to see him succeed, and I think they're going to they're going to misread the tea leaves on Becky here too. You want to know why? Because you can't Roman Reigns slash John Cena a female performer in this company in the same way, and here's why. Let's break down the nature of the John Cena Roman Reigns polarization. Who likes John Cena and Roman Reigns, Jeff? Uh, children and women. Yes. Who dislikes John Cena and Roman Reigns? Uh, smarky neckbeards in their mid-20s to mid-30s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> no, it's the male fans. It's the male fans. Yes. And it even it, it goes into the 40s and 50s, too. But it's that male adult audience. Absolutely. Yes, the, the, the male adults, some of whom think they know too much for their own good, some who are just going along with it. I, but I don't Jeff, think it's so much. I don't think it's so much John Cena anymore. I think but John Jeff, Cena has the begrudging stay respect with me here. now. Why do the women like John Cena and Roman Reigns? Because he's a good looking. Because they're both good looking guys, and they're the good guys. Right. And where is Charlotte in the mix of that? You don't have that button to push anymore, and so you can't do some of the same playbook with the female superstars. So this idea that we're going to get that same formula of polarization. I don't think it's necessarily the case. I actually think, if anything, the women fans here who are the moms are just looking at the different women and picking their favorites off of this, and it has nothing to do with cosmetics. So you can't appeal to that. So if they think Becky's getting a raw deal, they're just going to root for Becky. I, see, I'm I'm going to go the other way on this just a little bit. I don't think... Look, I think, I think everybody's going to cheer for Charlotte in her entrance because everybody wants to do the woo Everybody, you know, wants to, you know, sing along with Charlotte. A but bit. they still wooed when Rick was a heel. Yes. They are going to push her because she is what they want in the face of a division. A very tall, athletic blonde who's, who's you know, this is who women want to be. That's why they push her. They don't push her due to popularity. They push and her because, And that's why women again, will resent her. And this is why I'm saying the polarization formula doesn't work the same way. I, I think women will resent someone like a Carmella. Who is who? You know who is a diva who isn't athletic and isn't a doesn't have the bona fides of of a wrestling pedigree per se. Uh, look, her father did enhancement work for the WWE, but she is not known as a technically good wrestler. There's no there's no begrudging respect for Carmella. I think I think it'll be fun at this point to cheer for Becky because people want to see Becky succeed. I don't know if there's as much resentment. In terms of Charlotte as a person, I think what people will resent is the push. When it becomes the, the oh, I'm going for history for the number of title wins, or I'm a flair, or, you know, kind of the same playbook that they've always kind of had with, with Charlotte up until now, so to speak, in, in that the she's the best person in the company. So we're going to job a Sasha to her. Okay? We're going to job a Bailey to her by doing something weird or backwards. Uh, you know, we're going to we're going to have Becky put over Charlotte when Becky has already put over Charlotte. And I think I think the resentment won't come on like looks and stuff. It will come on 
look at what they're doing with with Becky. We like Becky. She works hard. She's nice. She's sociable. We love her social media. She's very entertaining on that. I, I don't know if it's going to be so much as the cosmetic appeal that, say, a Carmella would get. I, I just it, it, that's where I kind of push back just a little. So let's talk a little bit about Rusev and Lana and Aiden. Here's where I think this is going. I think ultimately Aiden English is going to cut a heel promo that is going to center on the self-absorption of Rusev and Lana having days for themselves. There's a Rusev day. There's a Lana day. But what about me? What about Aiden? Okay. I, I... This act is so silly at this point that they need something to do. I, I've gotten to the point where I still, I will watch Rusev act all day in something where he's, where he's giving kind of natural reactions. It seems to poor verbiage and whatnot. I just, it, it's so weird to have them have this feud, bring them together, and then all of a sudden just turn Aiden for no re- reason really. But it gives them both something to do because I don't think they have any ideas because they never put the rocket on Rusev, which they needed to do at some point. So he's kind of stuck doing these kinds of things. So, I mean, if if this is what he's going to have to do for the rest of the year, I'm fine with that. Yeah, this is, I think, what he's going to have to do for the rest of the year. Um, what else here? Oh, Vega and Almas. The pain continues. The beatings will continue on Almas until morale improves. I don't know. I liked what this match for what it was. I thought the ending was ridiculous. I thought the ending was stupid. But I liked the match for what it was. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I think they're also in a holding pattern with Almas and Vega. I don't. They don't know what to do with them. They know they want to do, you know, the occasional spots that the crowd will cheer with. But Ve- uh, Vega cuts the promos for the team. Almost really doesn't. And you, he was getting the what treatment on Tuesday night. He was kind of hard to understand. I did not mm-hmm. disagree. Sometimes the crowd's a little brutal on that, but he earned his what treatment there on Tuesday night for sure. I was half expecting Daniel Bryan to almost accidentally heal when he would he would try to get a baby face pop I I don't understand what you're saying but that would have been that would have backfired royally I think I think they have some mileage still as baby faces but as a heel act right now we've really taken the shine off of this car Really? There was an upper level swagger that the almost character had with Vega in NXT at the end of that run that has really been absent in my opinion with this yeah, version of the Almas character. They're trying to protect him without protecting him by saying he w- he went the distance with AJ. No, I know. They cut the nope. promo, but it doesn't convince anyone. If anything, it sounds right. like someone trying to put a spin on something, because especially because they're heels. The whole idea is that Vega isn't necessarily a straight shooter. So when she's spinning stuff, and she can't even spin a win here, it's like, yeah, we lost, but we were very competitive in our loss against him. It's, it's tell, don't show. For them, that that that's that's the mistake there, and I, I kind of agree with you. Um, I know a point I wanted to get to on SmackDown before we move on. The New Day comedy stuff? No, 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 no. It, it's 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 more kind of lack of logic here, but 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 in WWE world, it's logical. Your hottest feud, a blood feud, a feud involving family members and personal grudges. Samoa Joe, AJ Styles getting heated joe's calling his wife while on the air talking smack 
this this needs to be contained this anger it needs if only there were a structure somewhere that would hold in this kind of blood feud that's so personal because the match ended at the dq and your hell in the cell match from smackdown is half broken jeff hardy versus half interested randy orton yeah i don't necessarily think you're wrong though i think we are ending up in a cell eventually with joe and aj here oh i I don't really I think they're just going to do the. I think they're going to do the two cell matches. They may if they, if, if they I mean, look, I would love for them to have three or four cell matches. You put Charlotte and Becky in there. Maybe you put in, you know, Joe and, and AJ, but I think they want to keep it. So I don't think they want to turn this into TNA lockdown. I was going to say you want to make this WWE lockdown. I do want to make it lockdown, but that's just me because I think all feuds should eventually lead to a cage match of some kind because I'm stuck in the 80s still in many many ways but i i just it's it's one of those things where i'm just like i get that these are two stars so it's a draw i know that jeff hardy wants to do a cell match before he retires but we just we 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 winced at the at the apron bump he took at the last pay-per-view my god what is he gonna i i just <laughs> i don't see <sighs> I understand that you want them to be two big names, and you may not think that AJ and Samoa Joe are those names. But the feud, you know, the feud's over body parts between <laughs> between Randy and Jeff Jeff Hardy, between nut shots and yanking at the ear. It, it, you know, it's like a Three Stooges type of feud, whereas this other one has actual anger attached to it on on screen at least. So you, you'd think that that would be the one to go to. Yeah, I guess I'll just hold out hope that maybe they add on the cell stipulation here between now and Hell in a Cell because it does feel like they're building to something. Although this is why when they introduced the getting AJ's wife involved part of the narrative into this angle, I was kind of reticent because WWE on the main roster has not had a great track record in capturing the appropriate level of intensity that comes with getting someone's loved one involved. No, they're, 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 um, how do you say their, their story, their story points rather than emotional resonance. Real quickly here, because I don't have anything to say beyond this, the New Day commentary gimmick was really poorly executed. If you're going to have those guys out doing commentary, just have Woods actually call the match and have Kofi and Big E basically serve as color in the form of Mystery Science Theater 3000. And that's how you do the New Day commentary booth. What they ended up doing to open up the show was a lot of New Day, Uh, Too much New Day, in my opinion. And then misusing New Day in the commentary booth after, which just made that whole opening match very jarring. I think think after the Booker T sketch, which I believe I had that, um, I I think after that they should have gone away for a bit. I agree. I think we're also probably getting a three-way between the Bar, the Usos, and the New Day in some way. I think maybe that match to see who faces them breaks down, and then it becomes a three-way, and then... We're back here again with SmackDown. It, it's very odd because it's like we can't really 
progress past these teams, even though we think we're get moving past them. It, it's it's and and look, there's nothing wrong with them. They're 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 good matches. No, the bar's great. The Usos are great. The New Day are very very good in the ring tag team. They're entertaining sometimes. The on the mic antics gets a little stale for me, but they always deliver in the ring. They really are a good bunch of wrestlers. And I think that's the problem. Is I really want the out of the ring talk to match, and I think the Usos bring it. And I think when they bring it, the New Day brings it. I think the the, the weak link here is somewhat the bar because it, it just becomes like European jokes. And to get to the catchphrase, we don't just set the bar. We are the bar. I, 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 I really want a little bit more. I want a little bit more more menace from from a team as big as as Sheamus and and Cesaro, and I don't really get that. They're they're an entrance with very smooth moves and very good set pieces, but they're they're a little bit to me. They're they're like tag teams of the late '90s, early 2000s, where it's two singles guys who do their moves rather than a tag team. Do you want to go over to 205? Uh, yes, because I want to say any combination of Buddy Murphy, Mustafa Ali. And Callisto, I'm in. I'm so in. That match, again. (laughs) So good and almost too good for that crowd. No, it is. It's the worst part of 205 Live is the fact that they are having these kill-themselves matches and it comes at the end of a lot of people's wrestling weeks. And it's a ca- it's a it, it's some it's mostly casual sticking around with some of the hardcores. And I don't look, I'm going to crowd shame a bit here. Stop chanting for tables in the middle of a great match. Okay? Enjoy the match. I I I don't like to do that a lot because I think you're you should be allowed to chant whatever the hell you want and if you're bored by a match or you hate a match, you should be able to 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 expound on that but appreciate the style of the match that's in the ring for what it is and don't demand it to be something else i i so love your idea of putting these 205 of just of putting the big 205 matches on nxt on the on the takeovers and having a title you know having title defenses there um yeah, I mean that—that's only the the only thing I really wanted to hit on two hundred five because everything else was really disposable. Tozawa beat Kendrick, and I guess that will eventually get Tozawa back into a mid card feud with Gulak seconds, and there you go. I will say this: I, I think this team, in terms of the commentary, I think they give uh, I, they give the NXT team a run for their money as best trio, and yeah, they share two thirds of each team together. Um, but I think, I, I think Nigel is a little bit more on his game on two Oh five. I think, uh, Oh, I can't, I'm blanking on the play by play. Vic guy's name. Joseph is his name. Vic Joseph. Vic Joseph is underappreciated because while he still has to do a lot of the WWE play by play isms where you, Ooh, ah, he's not time. bad. He, and he got better over time too. When he first came on, he was not very good, but he's really gotten polished here. His transitions are strong. His match calling is strong and he doesn't, he doesn't, he hasn't devolved into a sports center anchor. You know, here's my, here's my, here's my signature call right here. You know, that Jr and Morrow and Michael Cole have so, kind of worked that groove into because I think he's been under the radar where they haven't produced him and stuff. And look, I'm going to say this as well. I think Percy Watson has really improved as a color guy. I, I, you know, he still does. I mean, he still has, 
basically, basically whatever he gets excited, come on, you know, he'll do that a lot. But in terms of, you know, kind of being what, what Byron Saxton used to be in terms of being the, the guy who's there, the David Crockett type, who's just excited to watch the matches and speak up for the baby faces. I think he's really improved, even though you may not notice it. Yeah, I think that is right because he's still n- not great. And so when you're taking right. the raw score, it's still low. But he's gotten better from where he was because there was a point where Percy was actively hurting some of those shows. And right. you can't say that about Percy anymore. And there are times, not always, but times, where Nigel and Percy actually have a pretty good little repartee going there with Nigel being stuck up and not wanting to have fun, for example, with the Lucha House Party, calling them the Loser House Party. And Percy slides in and he'll needle him a little bit mm-hmm. there. Yeah, no, I actually I was gonna bring that up. I think I think the reason for that is on two oh five, Nigel, much like Corey Graves on SmackDown versus Raw, I think on two oh five live, I think Nigel plays more of a pure heel. Yes. Versus versus NXT, where he's more of a analyst type, where he's trying to rem- trying to really give good analysis, but never goes full bad guy. Where on two oh five live, he's obviously. A, a heel commentator and Percy can play off of that much like Corey Graves on SmackDown is more of a pure heel commentator versus raw where he's trying to be malleable to, to pivot to wherever Jonathan coachman or whoever is in that third chair goes when they say something stupid or maybe that needs some help. But he'll sometimes get on the same page with the entire announced team and he'll sort of speak as one voice of, oh, this is too far. I actually like what Graves has brought into the commentary booth because I think he's made everyone reassess how babyface and heel is supposed to work in the announcing booth in very, very constructive ways. I'm with you. I think that Nigel on NXT still shades heel in his analysis, but he is a sports analyst who has a slight bias towards the heels, whereas on 205 Live, he is a partisan for the heels who keeps the veneer of being a sports analyst over the top. So news coming down today is that Velveteen Dream is going to appear at two Evolve shows in the New York area. One match versus Austin Theory, and the other versus Darby Allen. Fascinating for a couple of reasons. I think, look, I think Patrick Clark is the kind of guy... Who need he has a character now. Now he needs the talent to follow it, and he's the kind of guy who needs an excursion, maybe for a few months somewhere. My reaction to this news was, yeah, but you're putting him in against aerial flippy do guys who are a little bit one dimensional for me. I, I like Austin Theory. I like his upside. Darby Allen, I like. <laughs> I don't love Darby Allen. I, I think he's he's kind of a throwback to that mid two thousands or even mid nineties guy who would end up in an ECW or a CCW who gets over by taking a lot of damage and unneeded damage that he doesn't necessarily have to. And I, I'm just like, well, where's where's the technical guys that, that he should be wrestling on these indie shows to see if he can get over 
in in that fashion. And I'm just I'm 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 but I'm fascinated by the lending out of a guy that they obviously see a lot in in Velveteen Dream. Any thoughts on that news? I like the idea of him doing the excursion. The pairings from what you've told me about them don't sound ideal, but I guess let me ask you this. What would you think the ideal pairing would be for the Velveteen Dream? Wow. Um, and it's weird because Evolve is kind of in a bit of a flux with their roster right now. I, you know what? I would have... And they're eventually going to get to it because they've been saying Basque for Velveteen Dream. I think that the eventually the Keith Lee feud is going to be there. I, You know what? A guy like... Um, and evolve because I don't really have too much knowledge of their roster right now. But a guy like Tracy Williams wouldn't be a bad move, I think. Um, I understand this one. I, I, I'd i like to see him work more traditional style feet on the ground matches versus big spot ones. So maybe you bring in Ethan Page again. That kind of thing. You don't want to have the EC3 Velveteen Dream scenario again. So the two 1991 WWF match, you got to avoid that. Oh, but but you, you there's a bit of news coming out of that. Okay. Um, I don't know if you heard this, but EC3 suffered a concussion fairly early in the match. I see. From what I was told. So that, may, that might have explained why it was a little bit plotting at first. Um, just EC3 trying to get his bearings somewhat. Um, I forgot where the move was, but but they're saying that uh, he may have suffered a concussion early in that match. Um, but I, I do think he needs to work different styles. It's you know maybe maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe he does need to work against two very high flying, high spot type guys, and then to try and try and turn. And maybe he's the guy that has to kind of call that match right. and kind of chain it all together. Maybe maybe because he's a heel and they want him to be a heel, he's going to go in there, and he's going to be the one kind of... They want him to book these matches and call these matches and actually drive yeah. the car a little bit, and then maybe the next time around, the idea is we'll pair him with a technical wrestler. Eventually, when we want to turn him, we'll pair him with, I don't know, like a Drew Gulak type of guy, a Dean Malenko type of wrestler who can put him through his paces on the mat and help him work on his charisma and his firing up and all of that. But I think at this point, this is the nice low bar for him to clear, and then we can worry about raising that bar up further and further. So going to NXT this week... We have the start of the Regal Commission. Regal is going to get <laughs> to the bottom of all the interference surrounding the main event of TakeOver Brooklyn. I am not adding any overtones to this whatsoever, Jeff Hawkins. <laughs> he has an envelope of names, and he will bring people in front of him. He's going through the dossier. If he, Have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Have you... <laughs> I, I don't know. My my joke last week was so stupid. I now can't watch this angle without thinking that Kathy Kelly was trying to pump William Regal to see if he knew she was behind it. Um, but also at the same time, my other just throwaway line, I think the whole reason Johnny Gargano said, look in my eyes type of thing is that I think he secretly knows. The reason he did that is because... He can't lie because he's Johnny Wrestling and he's got moral character, but he needs to keep this a secret. 
Oh, I, yeah, I was thinking, look, I'm out of control, but I'm now back to my bearings. I could have never done something like that now, but back then when I was all crazy going after Ciampa, yeah, that was me. And I, I think, uh, boy, this, 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 I don't know if this is terrible or creative at this no, point. No, he's going to turn liking, heel eventually. That's where I think this ends up. I'm liking... I'm liking the concept of this. I just don't know if the execution of the who shot Mr. Burns um, aspect of it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, it feels like it could be creative, but they're probably just going to go straight ahead, much like uh, the old DC miniseries and comic books, Identity Crisis, which was like, oh man, it's cool. Things have changed and here is going to be treating villains different. And it just turns out, you know, one of the guy's ex-wives wanted to get back together. So (laughs) it's just like, ah, okay. Um, I enjoy, I enjoyed the hell out of the tag team match between the undisputed era and ricochet and, uh, and Pete Dunn. I think they, I think they hit the, hit it on the head on their, on the nose a little bit too hard about the tensions between Dunn and ricochet with him staring at the belt. You know, that that's pure WWE ism, but the match itself was great. I like the idea of Pete Dunn having trust issues that linger with him throughout his career from having been backstabbed so many times and that that sort of explains a lot of Pete Dunn's lone wolfedness. He has a hard time making friends because he's been betrayed so many times. Uh, in an ideal scenario, maybe Ricochet and Dunn could actually become friends out of this, like in, in storyline. Like they do have to compete and they do ultimately have to have this belt versus belt match, but Dunn does eventually have to make like a real friend, oh, I think, oh. out of this. Okay. I'm going the opposite way. You think he just goes full heel? No, I don't think he goes heel. I think he goes on his own with his real friends. I think, I think, um, uh, again, I haven't read the spoilers. Well, he's going to stay with Mustache entire- Mountain. I mean, like, yeah, I think, no, I think we're eventually, when's War Games, right? When's the big cage match? Is that November? November? Okay, yeah, November. that's where I think we're going with this. Um, I think yeah. Dunn goes back with them, and then Ricochet sides with the War Raiders, and that's how we build into War Games here. But that Dunn and Ricochet still ultimately have to have some sort of match, and I think that does end with them having a big handshake. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking. Yeah, I think they go maybe begrudging handshake um, because I think I think this is one of those main roster type feuds, born out of competition where nobody's really the heel. They just both want to win. I, I don't, I don't see them turning Pete Dunn because they turned him and and the crowd liked him so much. He he somehow babied himself. So I don't, I don't think they're going to go back and try try and do something like that. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much all I had for NXT. Nikki Cross, she knows who did it, but we still don't know what she knows because we, unlike the other interviews, don't get to the end of this. So I think, here's my takeaway from this, Regal coming out of this episode does actually know who did it and is now going to be playing everyone. Someone's going to ta- have to attack Regal at some point. Yeah. Or, or it has to be Regal himself that did it. I just, you know, he's just going to have too much information. But let me give props. Speaking of the Nikki Crossing, I don't know which writer was playing Regal's number two in all that. Just a fantastic straight man. Just sitting there with the blankest look on his face. I absolutely love that kind of stuff in my comedy where 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 no one's mugging it. They're playing it, trying to be real, 
and it just it just makes Nikki's just absolute stupidity look better. And look, I, I'm big Nikki Cross fan, so don't don't take that stupid the wrong way. But just just Nikki playing crazy in there while they have to kind of sit there and okay, you gonna tell us? Come on, Nikki. That 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 I I loved I love the uh, juxtaposition of that. Any thoughts on Luke Menzies? You know, this is the kind of match again. I can't stand these kinds of debuts. I can't. Guys should be strong in their debuts. Not here's a guy and he's going to have a match against someone else who we're trying to build, and we're going to beat him right now. But later he's going to be a big deal. So there. I, but I thought it was good. I mean, he has that. He has that kind of uh, Jack Swagger. He's somewhere between Swagger and Biggie Langston in terms of body frame. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I mean, these are the types of guys, you know, taken from a rugby background. So he has the real sports background that they like to build up into wrestlers. Um, I'm going I'm going to just I'm going to file it under too early to tell. Yeah, right I, I kind of like the uppercuts. I kind of like the style that he seems to be settling in on. I am with you that I don't like seeing these guys who clearly are projects in the making because you look at them and they have a certain it factor about them being used to put over someone like Keith Lee. I think Keith Lee should have to face off against a local big burly enhancement talent type of guy. And that's well, perfect. Here, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing is if, if Triple H is going to go out there and say this is no longer a developmental territory, then you can't pull this crap with that it's just developmental by introducing people this way. You have to do it like it's a real territory, so to speak. And you always, you always debut somebody strong. You never, never do them 50-50 or in a struggle or losing. Because automatically you don't get that second chance to make the first impression. To, to it establishes to the audience cliche. where this person is at early on. Whereas the obliteration squash makes us wonder where this person's ceiling is at. I did not have a chance to watch Bracketology for the Mae Young Classic. I will probably go back and do that prior to that. But I am looking... I, I thought this tournament last year, um, mostly a positive. Um, especially, you know, once the editing took place. Uh, you, you heard some reports here and there. But I thought, you know, look, I'm a supporter of women's wrestling. I, I enjoy it. I think... Anything like this, if they tell a good story and judging from what they're going to do in it, hopefully it. <laughs> there, there's a problem with one of the competitors right now, and hopefully they're back for the finals. But, um, you know, I, I want to see if they've learned anything from last year. Uh, last year, they kind of released a bunch for consumption. This week, they're going to do a little bit slower. I want to see if they've learned anything from the storytelling because. They tried to tell a couple stories. Some worked, some didn't. Um, I'm going to be interested to see who the crowd who the crowd goes into business for to to ask be signed because they'll do this with one performer within the determinant at some point. In the Cruiserweight Classic, it was Cedric Alexander. Last year was Jazzy in some way before she got hurt. Um, my instincts without having read spoilers is Mia Yim will be the, will be kind of the um, sentimental favorite to, to ask uh, WWE to sign in some way. Um, any thoughts at all concerning the May Young classic? I, to be completely honest, I don't have any thoughts beyond Mia Yim is someone who I think WWE should take a look at. Um, I think, I think they'll probably go there. 
I, I, I've done desperately tried to avoid most spoilers here, but I think the playbook from last year was you take these great solid workers from the women's indies, you, you give a couple, a couple of wins against the projects in there, but the people that you think really have something in your stable, you put them together and you have them go over much like I think Lacey Evans and Bianca Belair were kind of this, this in this category last year while still keeping the independent ones who have signed with you strong. So that's why, you know, Kyrie Sane did quite well. You know, I, I think, I think your usual suspects are the people you're rumored to think are going to go a long way are going to go a long way. Uh, but I'm also very interested to see how someone like a Casey Catanzaro does against a veteran indie worker because Casey's, you know, the uh, American Ninja girl who they signed. And she's apparently Lance Storm was very, very impressed by her when he went down there to train. So I'm very interested to see that. But we'll go over that next week when it's released. Once again, visit our sponsors for hymns slash STR. That's F O R H I M S dot com slash STR. Chris, where the can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at C H R I S N O V E M B R I N O. I also host another show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network called Lucha of the Hidden Temple, which will be out probably around the same time as this next episode of Shake Them Ropes because I'll be taping that right after we finish taping this one. I also host another show called Don't Worry About the Government. Someone tweeted me the other day Hawkins and said that don't worry about the government's their favorite show and how come there aren't more episodes out more often and do they have any other podcasts that we could recommend to listen to in the interim while you wait for don't worry about the government which is one of the nicest ways I've ever had someone poke me very strongly in between my ribs with a pointed stick to get another episode out so I'll be working to get another episode of don't worry about the government out at don'tworry.tv also patreon.com slash dwatg and my fourth and final podcast is All in the Family Podcast, which is a labor of love. You can find that at allinthefamilypodcast.com, and our Patreon is patreon.com slash allinthefamily. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes, all one word. You can follow me at crapgame13. You can visit the show and the website, voicesofwrestling.com slash str. Hey, come on the forums. We're one of the more friendlier forums in on the internet. Not a lot of trolls on there. Some very passionate people who are passionate about wrestling. It's been Shake Them Ropes 283. We'll see you next week. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 